Well, good morning, Brentwood Bible Church. It is good to see you all this morning. I feel the presence. It's good. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Marshall Canales. I'm one of the pastors at High Point Baptist Church in North Austin. Uh, I've been here a couple times before, and it is a joy to come back every time uh, Pastor Ben uh, reaches out and asks if I'd be willing to come in and preach. I, I've jumped at the opportunity. I've known your pastor for a couple years now, and it's a blessing to know him, and you are blessed by him. And so uh, I thank the Lord for him and the ministry that is taking place here at Brentwood. Uh, you, you see we're going to be in Jude. We'll be in verses 20 through 25. So if you have your copy of Scripture, go ahead and turn there. Uh, I'll read the text for us, then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into to seeing what the Lord has to say to us from the letter of Jude. So again, Jude, verses 20 through 25, read. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning seeking your help by your spirit. We need to see Jesus in this text and we need to know how to follow Jesus from this text, but we can't do that on our own. So we ask that by your spirit, you would give us wisdom and guidance as we seek to know you more through this short passage from Jude. We thank you for the, for the treasure that is in it. May we hold it up and, and prize it for what it is. And would you guide us this morning in Christ's name? Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, God loves you. God loves you. It doesn't matter how many times we affirm that truth over and over and over, we will never exhaust the understanding that as Christians, God loves us. The love of God is at the core of our Christian faith. It is foundational to the gospel that we believe. We know the love of God because we know that God sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world to take on God's wrath in our place for our sins. We know His love because we know He adopted us as sons and daughters and we are now called children of God because of His grace and His mercy. We know the love of God because while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. You see, any love that, that you or I have for God comes only through his gracious loving us first. Anyone who truly loves God or has truly been loved by God will make it to the return of Jesus and stand guiltless before our maker because of the blood of Jesus. But as Christians, we have to be ready to fight. There will be real threats that come into our lives individually and corporately that will seek to separate us from the love of God. These threats could be anything from being envious of the prosperity of those who oppose God. 
It could be a threat of a love of money to a fear of man to false teaching and so much more. But the truth is, no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what our age is, there will always be threats coming at us seeking to separate us from the love of God. And the church that Jude is writing to is, he's actually writing to them because false teaching has come into the church. There is a real threat impending on their love for God. And according to Jude, verse 3, we see that he, his purpose in writing them is to call them to, quote, contend for the faith. He wants them to fight, contend for the faith against those who have crept in and start, started perverting the gospel. And he gets towards the end of his brief letter to this church and says, if you're going to make it to the end, if if you're going to stand before God guiltless, if you're going to stand before God blameless, you need to keep yourselves in the love of God because the love of God is going to keep you. And this is the, the one point for this sermon this morning. Keep yourselves in the love of God because God's love keeps you. We'll take this into two parts this morning. First, keep yourselves in the love of God. And two... God's love keeps you. So first, keep yourselves in the love of God. Look, look again back at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in The love of God. This is the emphasis of what Jude is saying. We could actually restructure the sentence like this. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Spirit. Now, I need to clarify this. This is, this is a collective call. This is, this is a group assignment. This is a community project. Jude is telling the church at large, keep each other in the love of God. He's pushing them to realize they have a responsibility to one another. They have to make sure that each other make it to the end. He's saying contend for the faith by watching the backs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now there is some individual responsibility to this fight. We do have to fight to keep ourselves in the love of God. You you can't be committed to keeping one another in the love of God if you're not willing to fight for that yourself. If you don't desire to fight for it yourself, you're not going to truly care about your brothers and sisters fighting for it. I can't be on a sports team and say, I'm committed to seeing the team win, but I never practice or I never try to improve my skill or I never try to take care of myself to make sure I can contribute to the team making the success happen. By and large, this is a community project. This is what the church is supposed to do collectively, together, not individually. And Jude is not alone in calling Christians to this. He actually is echoing the same charge that Jesus gives his disciples in John 15. Verses 9 and 10 in John 15 say this, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this is a command Jesus has said. He's saying, keep yourselves here. And Jude is also echoing David from Psalm 103, verse 17 to 18. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. 
To keep in the love of God is to obey the word of God. Now, does that mean God's love is dependent on our obedience? No. A Christian's obedience to God, God's will, is their evidence of the legitimacy to their claim that they actually love God to begin with. Those who truly love God will obey God. It is a fruit of the love for God. You see, obedience is not just maintaining the do's and the don'ts listed in Scripture. This is where some people deceive themselves into thinking they're actually right with God because they followed, quote, the letter of the law. They've they've done exactly what they need to do. But obedience isn't just do's and don'ts. It's a way of life. Every aspect of your life is the way you are obeying Christ. A life that naturally lives out the expectations of a life pleasing to the one in charge. That is what obedience is. My youngest, Ezekiel, is going to be two in July. And Christmas time was very hectic for us this year because he, he was walking at this point And it was the first time he could actually go touch ornaments on the Christmas tree. And it was very frustrating because we were trying to teach him, you don't touch the ornaments on the tree. They're very nice. We, we've bought those. Your mom loves those. We've got to take care of those. And so every time he'd go to the tree and start touching, we'd grab his hands and, and pat his hands and say, nope, you, you don't touch that. We, we're trying to communicate, your hands don't touch this item right here. And so he, in his very sweet and sour way, comes to us and says, oh, he, 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 you can see he's understanding the point. I'm, I'm not supposed to touch the tree. And so he doesn't touch the tree with his hands. He decides to lift up his shirt and start rubbing his stomach all on the tree, knocking all the ornaments off. Now, he did what we asked him not to do. Don't touch the tree with your hands. But that's not the the point of the command. And that's how we treat God sometimes. We, We think to ourselves, well, I didn't do this, God. You told me not to do this, so I didn't do that. Or you told me to do this, and, and and I did that exactly like you said. But God is saying... That's not the intent behind the command. That's not what I truly want from you. Yes, that is an example of what obedience looks like, and that is something you're supposed to do, and that is something you're not supposed to do. But it's much deeper than just doing it or not doing it. You see, our obedience does not control God's love. God's love controls us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. To keep yourselves in the love of God is to fight to see the love of God in you and controlling you. It is to hold firm to the promises and the warnings God gives us in his word to direct our way of life and how we interpret and view and understand the circumstances surrounding us. We are to keep ourselves, we are to keep one another in the love of God. But how do we do this? Thankfully, God doesn't just tell us that and we have to figure it out on our own. He tells us in this text, we do it by building yourselves or building one another up in the most holy faith. Faith here being the gospel and all of its implications in our lives. What makes it holy is the fact that this faith comes from the one and only holy God, our Father, and its foundation is in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what makes this faith holy. It is the cornerstone that we 
stand on. Jesus is the basis upon which everything else is built. That is why our faith is holy, not because of us, not because of what we do with our faith. Our faith is holy because of who it is rooted in. It's because of who it testifies about. It should be our desire to fill our hearts and our minds with knowledge and understanding of the Word of God in order to strengthen ourselves and strengthen each other to press on and make it to the end. That should be our desire in studying God's Word. This is Discipleship 101. As members of one another, we seek to build each other up in our most holy faith. We are called to teach one another. We are called to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. We want to exhort one another so long as it's called today so that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are to encourage one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We are to stir one another up for love and good works. You see, we do all of these things in order to build one another up in our most holy faith. Christian, if you are not growing in your knowledge and understanding of God and His Word, you won't be successful in caring for your brothers and sisters as they are seeking to make it to the end. So a question you have to ask yourself is, am I growing in my knowledge of God's Word? Do I desire to know God more through His Word? Is there a fire and a passion in me that wants to sit down and open his word and soak as much of it up as I can. All Christians should have a never-ending hunger and thirst to know God more. As you grow in your understanding of God and his ways, you become more aware of your unholiness, which leads to a deeper appreciation and love for God's love, and His grace, and His mercy, and His kindness, and His justice, and His glory, and His majesty, and His dominion, and all of His authority. And it makes you want to know Him more. It's a never-ending cycle. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it should only make sense that you would want to keep tasting and keep seeing this Lord. You see, a Christian should never think to themselves, or worse, say out loud, you know what? I think I love God enough. I think I've reached the max love that I have for God. Or, you know what? I think I've, I've maximized everything I can learn from the Bible. There's, there's nothing more left for me here. That should never be a thought in the Christian's mind and heart. There should be a continual hunger to know God more, knowing that we'll never fully know Him here and now. And we want to, and so we keep hungering and thirsting for that. You can't keep in the love of God if you don't seek to grow in the love of God. But while we build, we pray. Look back at the text. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith, and at the end of verse 20, and praying in the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Jude, again, isn't alone in this. Paul in Ephesians 6.18 encourages the exact same thing. Paul in Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, we, re- we are praying, recognizing our dependence upon God as we pray for ourselves and we pray for others. It's praying, being aware of our lack of holiness in, compar- in comparison with the most holy God. It's praying, understanding the weight of our sin as we confess it to our Father. It's 
praying, resting in the understanding that we don't understand it all, and we should be praying prayers that echo the agenda of God, not our own agendas. Praying in the Spirit as we pray in all humility, recognizing that we have the privilege to speak with God because of His work through Jesus Christ, to whom the Spirit testifies, which actually reveals for us that prayer itself is a gift of God's love to His people. The fact that you can talk to God is a gift from Him and is a display of His love towards you. So keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. And we do all of this as we wait. Look back at the text. Verse 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Part of keeping in the love of God is our living in the realization that this is not our home. This is not the end for us. We don't put our hope and our ultimate enjoyment in this life because we are longing for the mercy of our Lord to return and be fully realized when we see Him and will be with Him for eternity. And we need to remind each other of these truths. We need to cast a vision for one another. We need to remind each other, keep your eyes on that day. Keep your hope there, not here. Focus on the return of Christ and all of the promises of God that will be fulfilled at that time. And that will give you hope to press on. That will give you the encouragement to press on, even when it doesn't look great now. Our text is very clear, though. We need each other in this work. This, this is a responsibility we all have for one another. Because there will be some who are affected by the threats that come into our lives. Those threats that are trying to pull us away from the love of God, some will be affected by those threats. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What these verses are exposing for us is that we will need discernment to care for our brothers and sisters when they've been affected by these threats that are seeking to pull them away from the love of God. We can't and we shouldn't handle every situation the exact same. Though each situation requires a different approach, they all should be marked by mercy. You see, some in this church that Jude is writing to had begun to have doubts about the faith because of what those who crept in were saying about the gospel. They were, these, these members of this church were starting to doubt. Well, maybe, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I haven't done enough to receive God's love. But notice what the text says to do with those who are doubting. It says, uh, rebuke them for their doubts. No, it doesn't say that. It says, ridicule them for being, quote, weak. No, the text doesn't say that either. It says we're to have mercy on those who doubt. We're to extend mercy to them. The church should be the safest place for those with doubts to speak up and ask for help, to ask questions. And if that's you this morning, I, I know your pastor well enough, and, and I'm pretty sure I know the church here well enough, that if you have questions, you can ask them. The church should be a place where we can speak into the life of those who are having doubts. Help explain the gospel. Help them to understand how God is working in their lives. 
to help walk through Scripture to better understand what the Lord is saying. People should feel comfortable asking those questions in the church. But still, there's another group of people who will be affected by these threats, and we'll have to snatch them out of the fire, as the text says. These are those who are beginning to drift. It's possible they're no longer spending time in the Word. It's possible they're no longer coming on Sunday mornings. They're forsaking the gathering. It's possible that they've started gossiping. It's possible that prayer is no longer a priority in their life. It's possible they've started distancing themselves from other Christians so that they can't be called out in their sin. They won't speak or listen to anyone. In these types of cases, we shouldn't assume that others will deal with it. It shouldn't be the assumption, oh, that's the, the pastor will take care of that. No, we aren't called to quietly sit back and watch them shipwreck their faith. We don't look on with an, an attitude of indifference. We snatch them out of the fire. Listen to what James, the brother of Jude, says in James chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings, him, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. There is an urgency and a responsibility we have to snatch those who are beginning to drift away from the love of God. We should recognize the urgency of care needed and we do whatever we can to keep them in the love of God. But notice the difference between this individual and the one who doubts. It is not a sin to doubt. If you have doubts, that is not a sin. So mercy in that case is inviting the questions and with kindness and gentleness and patience seeking to build that brother or sister up in the faith. But the saint who's beginning to drift, there's much more of an urgency because now we are dealing with sin. But mercy is still evident because we are seeking to snatch them out of the flames of judgment. Our act of snatching them is actually a display of mercy towards them. We don't want to let them continue in their sin. We don't want to let them continue to drift. We want to snatch them and say, no, look at the love of God. Remain in the love of God. Don't follow after your sin. But finally, there's others in the church who have been affected by this false teaching, by this threat. He says, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This imagery that Jude is using here is a reference to the Old Testament holiness code, the, the Old Testament holiness law. That if someone was unclean, if they had a disease, disease, you weren't even supposed to touch the garments they were wearing because you would be considered unclean at the same time. Jude is saying, there will be some who appear to have disregarded and forsaken the love of God completely. And they're pursuing their, end, their sin full force. This would be someone who we would, we would understand has entered church discipline. We've had to discipline them for their ongoing unrepentant sin. In these cases, we must exercise care and caution lest we be tempted to fall into the same sin. But those among us like this are not exempt from mercy either. Mercy doesn't mean we ignore their sin or the practice of it. No, it means we call them out in their sin and we fight with them to see that sin put to death. Mercy is the driving force behind our engagement with them. Restoration is our goal. We view it as a rescue mission. 
We do so with fear. Not fear of the person, but fear of the judgment that comes with abandoning the love of God. That's our motivation. It's a rescue mission. And as with any rescue mission, you enter into it with care and caution. But you don't abandon the rescue mission. But did you notice that as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be merciful to those among us who need to be reminded and encouraged to keep in the love of God. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I merciful? Is mercy a characteristic of my life, specifically in the way that I deal with brothers and sisters in Christ? We need to remember that apart from the mercy of God, any one of us can find ourselves in one of these categories of doubting, drifting, or disciplined. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In Jesus, we have received the mercy of God, and so we should never withhold that same mercy from someone else. The mercy of God propels us to show mercy towards others. So keep yourselves in the love of God. But Jude does not leave room for pride to keep creep in. Though he tells the church, keep yourselves in the love of God, he also lets them know, you won't be the reason you make it to the end, ultimately. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Why? Because the love of God keeps you. And that's our second point. God's love keeps you. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, again, keep you from stumbling and present you blameless, before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, I'm not going to pretend like this can't be confusing because I just said, keep yourselves. Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. But now we're saying it's, it's God who does the keeping. What's going on? Well, let's, let's work through this. God, God keeping you is the follow-up follow up call, follow of him calling you. I'm getting this based on verse 1 of Jude. In verse 1, Jude says, To those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. The love of God calls you to himself. And then 1 Peter 2.9, God our Father, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The love of God that called you and marks you as one who is loved by God is the same love that will keep you until the end. This is Philippians 1.6, which was read earlier. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's love will keep you. But how does he keep us? It's one thing to say he keeps us, but how does he keep us? He keeps us by the very means we just talked about from verses 20 to 23. God, in his love, uses ordinary means of grace in our lives to keep us from stumbling. He's using those around us. He's using his word to keep us in his love. To use a rough analogy, my, we have three children. I talked about Ezekiel and his, his problems and his sin. But then we, we have Hosea, who's our, who is our second child. He just turned four um, and, and in working through this text, I was reminded of when we were teaching him when he was younger how to use the monkey bars on the playground. See, I would, he, he wanted so badly to start on one bar and end up at the last bar. And so I 
would tell him, okay, Hosea, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick you up and I'm going to help you do this, but I'm not going to do it for you. So I would pick him up and I'd, and I'd put him on that first bar and I would say, okay, Hosea, you keep your eyes on that last bar and you just keep moving forward. You swing your body, you stick your hand out to grab the next bar, you get there and then you send your other hand to get the next bar and you just keep going. You keep your eyes on that last bar and, and you keep going. You don't look down, it'll be scary, your hands will get tired, you'll, you'll feel like you want to quit, but you know what? I'm going to be right here, you're going to feel my hands on you and I'm not going to let you drop. I'm going to get you to the end. But I'm not going to just pick you up and carry you there and get you there and say, hey, you did it. Great job. No, I want you to swing your body, reach your arm out, grab the next bar and keep going no matter how tough it gets. But I'm not going to let you drop. And as he makes each bar, I'm holding him. And if he slows down because his arms are getting tired, I don't say hurry up. My arms are getting tired. I just stand there with him and I hold him until he's ready to grab that next bar. And he grabs the next bar, and I'm holding him, and we get to the end, and he is thrilled because he's made it. Now, you and I both know there was no way he was going to make it if I, didn't let, if I would let him go. He wasn't strong enough. He wasn't going to make it. But he had complete and ultimate trust that I was not going to let him go. And that gave him the strength to keep going, even when it got tough. That is exactly what it's like with God in your life. God's saying, reach your hand out and grab the next bar. Keep your eyes on that last bar and you keep going. I'm not going to drop you. And that should give us the strength. That should give us the encouragement to keep going. That's where we get our, our, our thrust and our rush of, of, of adrenaline to keep going even in the, in the tough times. When we remember that God is holding us and he will not let us go. So keep yourselves in the love of God because God's love will keep you. He loves you and he will not let you go. One misconception about God keeping us is that it tends to be viewed as more of like a fail-safe switch or like a last-minute button that he can press if we just don't make it. We tend to think of it as God says, hey, keep yourselves in my love. Keep yourselves in my love, but I'm going to be right over here. And if at any point it gets too dangerous, then I'm going to pull this lever and everything's going to be fine. The problem with that is God doesn't say, Hey, you go do it as best you can, and I'll make sure at the end I pull the switch. No, God's saying, I'm right here with you. We're going at the same time, and I'm not going to let you drop. No, God's love keeps us, and that propels us to keep going. We fight to keep ourselves and each other in the love of God because God's love will keep us. The holy faith that you claim to have comes from God's love. Any desire you have to build yourselves up in the most holy faith is owed solely to, the, to God's love putting that desire in you. Every time you pray in the Spirit, you do so because the love of God is in your life. All the promises you long for and anticipate as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to be realized are all promises given to you out of God's love. And the fact that you keep your eyes and heart on the goal of those promises and not turn to the distractions that overpromise and underliver is because of the love of God that is at work in you. As you press forward, that is the love of God working in you. God's love is keeping you when your soul is downcast and you read of God's faithfulness and you find hope and joy. 
God's love is keeping you when another saint calls you out in your sin and you follow in repentance instead of rejecting the rebuke. God's love is keeping you when you hear preached about what God despises and you begin to despise it as well. God's love is keeping you as you as your love for God grows. As your love for God grows, it's because God's love is working in you. What God has instructed us to do is to keep ourselves in his love are the means by which he actually keeps us in his love. Now, does he protect us in many other ways? Yes, absolutely. Amen. But not less than what he has instructed of us. It's God's love that will keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of his glory. It is so sweet to know that no matter how difficult it may be at times to fight to keep ourselves and to keep one another in the love of God, we know that it's worth every step of the way because God, our Father, will not let us go. We should be encouraged to read in this text that when we make it to the end, when God brings us to the end out of his love, it brings him joy. He doesn't doesn't get us to the end and say, Wow, you should really be thankful. It truly was a miracle that you're here today. This was one of the most difficult cases I had. He's not saying that. You get to the end and he's celebrating. It's like when when my son Hosea makes it to the end of the monkey bars. He doesn't jump and start celebrating and say, hey, that was not you. That's this guy. (laughs) Come on. Come on. No, I'm joyful with him. I'm joyful that he made it knowing that he made it because I was there with him. And now he's celebrating with me in the end. It's the same thing with God. God is saying, I got you here, but this is so much joy to see you here. It brings me joy to know that you've made it to the end. That should be an encouragement to us. It's the joy of God to present his children as blameless in his son. That brings God joy. You making it to the end brings God joy. That is a monumental statement. That should never make us tired or we should never grow content with knowing that. God gets joy when you make it to the end. That's amazing. And this should cause us to praise him even more. We have to ask, who is this God? Who is this God that would take rebellious sinners call them to himself, invite them to keep in his love, and ensure that they're kept because of his love, and who will present them blameless before him at the last day. And he'll do it with great joy. It is the most glorious God who does this. It is the God who is full of majesty, full of greatness, The only one with complete power and rule over all. It's this God that we praise. And just like the text says, it's to this God, the one and only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who we ascribe all glory, all majesty, all dominion, all authority, before all time, and now, and forever. This is who this God is. This is who this God who will keep us by his love till the end. And this is the God we love. Christian, you are loved by God. 
And God's love will keep you. For I am sure that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the love of God keeps you, Christian, press on to keep yourselves, to keep one another in the love of God. Let's pray. To him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To you, our one and only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. To you be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.